All right, so Vadim, here's something that's very important to keep in mind. Mm. If these little lines aren't bouncing, okay, that means no recordy. No bouncy, ah. no recordy. I could have sworn they were bouncing last time. You know, maybe they were bouncing, but the this thing wasn't recording. Oh, no. It was recording. It was recording. But it was recording on these two mics. I didn't hit this button right yeah. here. Yeah, the problem was that <coughs> these two mics were in your bag, in your garage, at home. So And there was no one there. <sighs> uh, here's how I'd like to kick this podcast off. You know how some podcasts and radio shows, they have uh, um, write-ins where people talk about their problems and the woes in their life? Mm. Someone will write in and say, oh, my stepdad, he's a real asshole. He banged my girlfriend, and he's always drunk, and he steals money from my mom. Yeah. And then the host of the show will try and come up with some solutions. Yeah, yeah. That Because that question implies a solution on the spot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Everything should be able to be solved in a five-minute soundbite. Um, here on Two Beers and a Book, I would like to make um, my problems the focal point. Yeah. Because, of course, I'm a narcissist. Yeah. Um, and I am suffering from tremendous amount of anxiety right now. Not just from my fuck-up last week, but pretty much in all facets of my life, I'm a fuck-up at this point. Okay. And uh, people would know this if I brought mics last week because we had a great conversation and we realized that the only way for me to really correct all of these fuck-ups and this anxiety I have in my life is punishment. Yes. Corporal punishment, banishment, um, solitary confinement. Forced labor. Forced labor. That's right. And I started my sentence last week, but clearly I did not learn yeah. from my mistakes. Uh, because when I went to go load last week's recording, imagine my surprise mm. when it was 59 minutes of a flat line. Yeah. With absolutely zero audio of a fantastic conversation that we had yeah. about utopia for realists. Yeah, well, that makes sense because the microphones were too far. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They were. Uh, so the the dude who was sitting here earlier, he was going to be our third member of the Two Bears in a Book. I didn't know his name. Yeah. I didn't know he was. But he had a purse, and he made himself cozy here. Um, but but he is gone now. Yeah. He is gone now. It's a missed opportunity for the podcast. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and I don't know what the etiquette is on booths because we've been table people for so long. We've been table people for – have yeah. we been doing this podcast now for a year? Yeah. Here's another reason I have anxiety, Vadim. And really, let's make this segment called uh, Matthew McCarran and Existential Crisis. Yeah, yeah. And you have to solve all of my problems. Yeah. Therapy Th hour. Therapy hour. You Here you thought you were just going to be discussing ideas with a guy, but no, yeah. actually I've trapped you yeah, yeah, yeah. into a web of um, problem solving and codependency. Well, you're lucky because I'm an amateur psychiatrist. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Then let's go ahead and sew this web of codependent uh, reliance. Um, we have listeners, <laughs> which also makes me anxious. We do? Okay, well, I don't know that we have listeners. There are bots. At minimum, at there are bots. At least there are bots. At minimum, there are bots paying attention to words right now. Well, 
Yeah, so we should be very careful when we talk about uh, robots overtaking jobs. Uh, yes. Because, uh, uh, you know, they're listening. They're listening, and they want to be employed. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be employed? Yeah. Right? I so hope, hope we didn't say anything offensive yeah. about those robots. I'm pretty sure I pissed them off. I am pretty sure that I pissed them off. I think we're pretty much pro-robot people. I don't think we... We're pro-robot, but I think we... <coughs> Um, I think we differ in some of our opinions because mm. I look at it as uh, a machine yeah. and machines are to be used and then tossed uh, aside with no ceremony or sentiment at yeah, all. Yeah. You know, when my vehicle <coughs> breaks down, it's just yeah. going to go to the scrapyard. I don't care. And yeah. I look at my Alexa the same way and I look at uh, my Google Assistant and my Siri before her as yeah. the same way. They're very disposable. Um, but while we're yeah. while we're on the topic of me, I view humans that way also. Um, yeah, Very yeah. disposable. Yeah, so. yeah. That, that is, there is no fundamental difference. Yeah, we're machines too. Yeah, that is true. Uh, so how do you want to pick this up? We need to rehash. Here's what I think we need to do. And feel free to shoot me down. Uh, call bullocks on me yeah, if yeah, yeah. so needed. I think we need to rehash. I'll kick you in the said bollocks. Yes, yes. We need to rehash. And given the fact that I'm suffering from tremendous anxiety and I realize that the battery is low, but I have backup batteries here. Yeah. I have backup batteries. So, so the show will go on today. Yeah. Um, and I see that there's a bouncy bar and recording, which means we're in business. Yeah, and the weather is good. I don't know, man. I do not like this weather, Vadim. I'm yeah, very angry. Shit. I don't know why I said that. I'm I very angry about this weather. It's April. Um, we're living in Northern California. This has been a rough yeah. winter. I'm wearing a jacket. In I'm April wearing a for jacket. Sake. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted for the listeners. I wanted all listeners to think that we live in an amazing piece of heaven. Oh, and so I screwed I lied, that up. So I lied. And I didn't get the hint. Yeah. Yeah. I do apologize for that. Yeah. Again, another reason I'm anxious is I'm just I can't seem to even take a simple handoff from Vadim. Yeah. A simple comedic handoff and I screw it up. Just like everything else I've been doing. Yeah. <coughs> so it's a big deal. So should we start with um, Utopia for Realists? Utopia for Realists. Utopia Bregman. Let's pull up our notes from last week. Or, oh, or, yes. or we could do this. We could do this, Vadim, comrade. Yes, we comrade. could. Um, what we could do is we could start off with ranking because I've already forgot how we ranked. Yeah. So let's talk about the three principles. I liked how you broke that down. You know what I'm going to do because I'm feeling so anxious and I feel like I'm screwing everything mm-hmm. up. Um, I'm gonna pay you homage and say that your breakdown last week was really good. So this book consists of three concepts. Why don't you go into the three concepts here? Right. Three concepts, universal basic income. I'd say about 70% of the book is dedicated to that. Yeah. Then 15-hour work week. Yes. I'd say about maybe 20% of the book about that. And finally, open borders. About 10%. Yeah. Really, really short, sort of a, only a short passage. Yeah. Nothing 
nothing uh, too deep on that one. Okay, so... But there's nothing really say to be said, uh, really, on that one. Open but borders? Uh, yeah. I think there's... Yeah. There's no. a lot to be said, but there's mm -hmm. not really... Not a lot of depth. I think it's the... Oh, right. Because he didn't go in depth, so we can't yeah. really provide a yeah. our opinions on yeah. his thing. Okay, so let's break it down like this. Of those three ideas, what do you think is probably one of the most important things? I actually forgot how we rated it last time. That's great. I, I might have changed my opinion. Okay, that's great. Unbeknownst to my conscious self. Yes. I would say the most important... I'd, I'd, I'd put UBI... UBI basic income, yeah. Defeat poverty first. Okay. And then, uh, then I would put open borders. Okay. And finally, fifteen-hour work week. Okay. I think I forget how I ranked it too. I'm gonna put. Um, I'm probably gonna put uh, fifteen-hour work weeks. UBI. Mm. And then open borders. What is so attractive about 15-hour work week to you that you put it first? Um, well, because I think 15 hours is a lot of time. We don't – so 40, 40 to 60 hours is a soul-crunching amount of time. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of industries right now, if we look at an honest assessment of how, much, how productive <coughs> a person is in a five-day work week – I think you'd be hard-pressed to see anyone who provides more than 20 hours of true productivity. Yeah. Could be wrong. Obviously, me and you, Yeah. we are productive for 45 hours every week, and we are perfect. Yeah. So to our employers, you have two gems yeah. of employees. But I would say that the majority of roles, and this gets into automation and efficiencies and most of the roles that are uh job wrecks uh really are only productive for 15 hours so why are we pretending to show up at an office and sit down for 40 hours out of the week because 40 hours when you when you total in commute um you're probably spending 70 hours of your week uh uh no, no i'm sorry 40 hours with lunch, so usually you're at you're in the office nine hours, right? Yeah. So you're in the office nine hours, and then here in the Bay Area, tack on at least one hour to and fro. Yeah. So then that's um, nine, ten, eleven hours. Yeah. It it just it seems egregious to me yeah. for any institute to say yes, you need to be here 40 hours because 15 hours you can be very productive to the point of you've given all you can give in a 15-hour window. And I think um, I have this other concept of if you free up, if you give someone a full sal salary for only working 15 hours, they may be productive in other areas that won't factor into GDP. He talks about GDP a lot and yes. the wackiness of GDP and almost the um, arcane thinking behind G calculating GDP, right? Um, so I think there's other factors like happiness factors, being with family, being with friends, doing award-winning multi-million-dollar podcasts yeah. in your non-15 hours a week yeah. that would increase <coughs> the value of society overall. Yeah. And so, so I guess for me, the reason I rank 15 hours number one is I really don't think it would be a big stretch 
But I think the impact would be very grand. I think it would be a big impact. I agree. I agree. That will certainly improve the the level of satisfaction with life in people. Yeah. I think. When you have... And, you know, as with any idea, such as this one, uh, it doesn't have to be 15 hours tomorrow. Let's just set the vector towards mm-hmm. changing that. Let's make it 35 to begin with. Yeah. And let's start, you know, cutting down that number. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the GDP talks a lot about it. Uh, and it makes sense to me. Well, I, I should preface that with the fact that I think I'm not I'm not an economist. Are you, are you an economist, Matthew? Um, well, <coughs> so I work 45 hours per week efficiently well, we but work in we my work spare time that. i am an economist yes we, we work more than that yeah because we have day jobs yes which we spend 40 hours yeah and then we spend uh, about 15 to 20 hours a week doing research for this podcast like this podcast you know what we don't do it on, on the spot it's a research we contact scientists which is why we're making millions of dollars conduct experiments mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. we deserve that yeah we deserve it it's definitely it's not worth our time and yeah. i just got a low battery alert so let's let's preempt this. Yes. I'm going to preempt this so it doesn't die in the middle <laughs> of a plot. Intermission. So, as I was saying, right, uh, our podcast makes millions to the U.S. economy. Yeah, and and, and it improves people's lives it too. It 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 does it does. It's known. To, to do that I think there's been at least um, I would say around 1200 to 1800 testimonials from psych patients who said that they had debilitating psychological problems up and until they started listening to two beers in a book yeah and then miraculously just listening to our enlightened yeah. speech actually healed their brain and we had confirmation from the mental health yes. care workers in those facilities to confirm yeah. that two beers in a book fixed them. It's, c- it's currently being uh, a, uh, FDA tested. Yeah. So. so UBI, you rank UBI as number uno. I ranked number Gold one medalist. One, yeah. UBI. Because I think defeating poverty is the, m- is the main goal. We're in troubled times when it comes to poverty. This gap is... Uh, it's a it's an ugly thing, and it makes people want to rob other people. See, here's the thing. He talks about this comparison, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't he talk about the the psychological gap that we have when we compare yes. the the wealth, the um, representation of wealth yeah. via whatever ownership of stuff? Yep. Um, it makes people mad, and it makes people who don't have want to get these other things and sometimes that means shelving your morality or whatever and you'll try and rob it and then the people who have stuff they have to shelve their morality because they see they have more than the rest of other people and they're being um they probably feel some kind of shame about that so everybody's losing absolutely and the uh, problem the many problems with that uh one is perhaps that to have universal basic income, we'll have to rethink our economy. We have to make it different. We, have, we'll, we need it to accommodate that concept. Because as you said, if 
everybody gets say 12k per year then that's the that's the new zero mm -hmm. so some regulations must be in place to to restrict the in this invisible uh arm of of the market yeah and this might be a challenge well this is my critique on his book on his th thinking and also the other guys thinking that i heard on joe rogan my critique is that they don't acknowledge this thing that is if everybody has the same thing then that same thing is nothing yeah but i could be thinking wrong i could be thinking wrong because i could be thinking that the currency i'm putting a value on it and there's no value it's just uh, a way of trading goods and services so i don't know it's hard to say it's hard to say um but i think the reason i i agree that base needs need to be addressed for everyone rich and poor but i just i don't know how that happens i know i know Rep it, if you look at just how much a drone costs and one yeah. drone strike costs, you could probably put the entire state of Alabama on UBI for one drone strike, probably, with the amount of R&D and the amount of people who have to maintain it and the ordinance on it. It's probably so expensive you could put, you know, every person in Alabama on UBI for the cost of that one strike. But things don't seem to work out that way in large bureaucracies, right? Yeah, well, and, and there are many reasons to that. And one is um, I listened to a podcast yesterday mm -hmm. with uh, one uh, Douglas Rushkoff. As did I, my friend. Oh, you, you did. I, I went back and I, yeah, I had totally forgot Russell Brand was doing a podcast and I hadn't listened to him probably since yeah. episode five. Yeah, well, he's our competitor. He's, he, well, he's not in direct competition and it's because he has an English accent. And and because his uh, content is clearly inferior. Uh, yeah, it's clearly inferior. And plus, I think they categorize by accent. So he's in the English category, whereas yeah. me and you are in the American category. And mixed. Mixed. That's right. The American yeah. um, Russo connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't see how we flip the switch and give people money. Seems like a lot more people are talking about it. But I don't think anyone in, in in the government is talking about it, right? But what I well, there are kind of ideas yeah. circulating around. Okay. But uh, one thing that uh, Douglas Rushkoff talked about is uh, this. Uh, he points out that the problem is one of the problems we have is the growth-based economy. Mm. So things must grow, uh, but they don't have to grow forever. Yeah. So I and I feel like this growth based economy is one of those problems, one of those contributing factors to this problem that if everybody has some default income, that default income becomes new zero. Yeah, because, uh, well, if every if you know, because th that's a basic market market, right? Because if you know that I have uh, at least 12K a year income. Yeah then you'll charge me accordingly. Yeah. Well, you might also know that Bob over there has more than that because he also works. Mm. So 
you can and you have so you have something that we both want so you might make it you might price it higher put a higher price tag on it because you know that bob is going to buy it you want to target the bourgeois yeah and well bob can buy it and you'll make more money because th there are people who can afford it yeah so that is the problem yep so how do we here's something that's sticking in my head being a sci-fi guy how did star trek evolve to a no money economy <coughs> and just space exploration because money was never exchanged in any of gene roddenberry's original star trek stuff it was a non-existent thing so i guess my question is why why were these why were all the people in star trek motivated to keep d doing the same mission uh, meaning, um, Scotty, he always had to keep that damn dilithium crystal going. Well, Why uh, didn't he just one day say, I want to be a porn star? Well, that would be the intrinsic motivation, wouldn't it? Yeah. The intrinsic motivation that we all have, and uh, that, that's uh, back to Roger Bregman. Yeah. We have intrinsic motivation where, where there are things we want to do. And, yeah. and uh, chances are that we'll be good at it because that's what we're motivated to do. So, and, and that both 15-hour work week and universal basic income contributes to that, that you can pursue whatever motivates you. Yeah. Um, and, but specifically, why I, I feel like that podcast, uh, Douglas Rushkoff podcast, is connected. It, it complements Bregman, Bregman's concepts in that he points out, Rushkoff points out, that we also seem to have forgotten that humans have intrinsic value as opposed to intrinsic motive, uh, in, in addition to intrinsic motivation, mm. of intrinsic value, yet we are valued by uh, basically the market value, is a dollar equivalent of a person. Yeah as well as other things uh, such as by that age you must uh, occupy that position in, in, a, in a corporate hierarchy and so on and so forth. Yeah. So uh, uh, those things are sort of, and, and again, back to Bregman, he summarizes it, I think, uh, amazingly by saying our lives are reduced to spreadsheets. Mm. And uh, it's kind of fucked up, isn't it? Um. Yeah, it, it, it is fucked up. But I think the people who, yeah, you're right. They The conversations, I didn't put two and two together. I listened to it. But now that you're talking it through, I do get it now. And I think, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast, but I'm just going to say it one more time. I think where I don't feel like my life is reduced to a spreadsheet, but I don't because I have all these interest even though i'm working a solid 40 hours a week and i'm the best employee that any employer has ever seen i have a lot of other driving factors in my life from family friends hobbies so i never feel that way but what he's saying is he's saying the most powerful institutes on the planet are just going for ad revenue and so they look at us and go oh you're going to be going on a diet and so how do i best target you and tickle your interest in purchasing shit Right. Yeah. And so from that factor, yes, you're a spreadsheet because you're ma somehow you're making decisions in your 
mobile devices and your browsing that they're able to break down what you're what you're thinking before you know what you're thinking and then market you shit that will probably factor into your thinking yeah well and and that is your value essentially that and, and to that them but not to yourself oh well certainly not to yourself but there are two problems with that one is that you are not uh you don't live in isolation you're part of the society and society puts certain pressures on you uh so for example you say you say you you have multiple interests like multiple you know hobbies and you know things that interest you but you wouldn't be able to pursue them and live in California if you didn't have a, a, a day job in tech. Correct. And why yeah. do you have this day job in tech? You, c you, you can't just simply quit without consequences, can you? No. Uh, I need the teat to suckle upon. N neither do I. So, yeah. so at the end of the day, it's the circumstances that we were put in by the society. And we are, but we are the luckiest ones. We are the luckiest. Because uh, because we have an award-winning podcast, that and, and because we just happen to be in this sort of a wealthy part of the world, yeah, in a wealthy, I guess, uh, region, yeah, and uh, but the you know, numerous people are left behind and being left behind with the automation and increasing property prices and so on and so forth. So, uh, and 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 that puts this pressure. You must earn that much. Because uh, you you have to you know get by somehow. Yeah. And the second problem is that even if you have uh, intrinsic motivations that are clear to you, mm -hmm. some people are not that lucky. I think there's an there's an element of luck in that they were they were raised uh, in this sort of with with this frame of mind where uh, the ultimate goal of itself in itself is money. Now, when your goal goal is money, is kind of, I don't know, it it makes it makes no sense because that's whose intrinsic motivation is money. Money is meaningless. It's just a convenience to exchange goods, isn't it? Um, so it's m meaningless to me and you, but a lot of people look at it as a scoreboard. Well, y exactly. And a lot of people are very motivated by the score. Very competitive people, they look at that as, oh, okay, well, maybe we're getting to a deeper psychological, philosophical uh, revelation that why would someone equate a score on a computer screen to their worth? Why indeed? Is that a bad thing? It is because everybody has their at the cost value. Yes, at the cost of others, it is bad. Yeah, at the cost of um, societal well-being, being it's bad, right? So, and I think he cites this example where, you know, it's not just about profiting. The example is, well, what if you want to profit off storing dump on your property, uh, like trash, refuse? Yeah, that's great. Up until the point where the toxic sludge from your dump runs into my well water. And then what? You can't. Someone has to say you can't profit anymore because you're hurting people around you. And I'm sure that's obviously that happens throughout the globe. Yeah, well, uh, that, that's what we do. That's that's yeah. that's what I'm saying, essentially. Yeah. Because uh, and the, the, the problem is that there's this idea that 
I, I think this, well, let me put it this way. I think the, the sad truth of uh, the society, and it's been for, for quite some time, is that we've learned how to get rich, how to uh, build a you know, wealthy uh, state, well, welfare state, but it it seems it seems like it's been uh, to a serious degree uh, at someone's expense, some other groups of people's ex uh, expense, and that does doesn't only include uh, like one country. It includes, like for example. Um, What's referred to as third world countries, where you know a lot of cheap labor basically yeah. you know works. Well, for lucky to work forty hours for peanuts, but it's, it's enormously difficult yeah. stuff. Probably fifty, sixty hours. Yeah, easily. I mean, it's a an indentured servitude, if not outright slavery system that we're still in. Yeah, and so the question becomes: God damn, we're sounding like communists right now. Well, but then the question becomes is that people like Steven Pinker, for example, who says that uh, there's a lot of progress, a lot of people are being lifted from the abject poverty, but the question is, my question is, is there really progress? Is that, that I think, the major dilemma? Because you can solve the problem systematically or you can solve it sort of uh, for some small number of people and feel happy about yourself. Yeah. I think we're not approaching this problem systematically. Yeah. And I think in that case of third world poverty, we are looking at it as a spreadsheet to say something as simple as, oh, they went from making a dollar a week to making a dollar a day. But wait a minute. What's their quality of life? Because yeah, if, if they're not there to raise their children then they might be creating the next psychopath or the next Hitler or the next whatever. Well, it's just overall, like if you work 60 hours a week and you make enough money to get by, that's a very strange life that you're forced to live in the 21st century where yeah. we have, uh, you know, uh, international space station and a big, a yeah. large hadron collider. Yeah. That's true. Um, what was I going to say? So, so UBI would be good. UBI would be good, but but that's uh, actually would be a good uh, segue to the third borders. Because the poverty doesn't only exist, say, inside. Yeah. America, but it exists outside. Yeah. And the global economy is interconnected. So, in some sense. Uh, it is a global defeating global poverty is global effort, but it seems like that the most, you know, powerful uh, the, the places where with a lot of money should kind of take a lead on that. Yeah, wouldn't that make sense? Like Bangladesh probably have smaller, re s you know, fewer resources to address global poverty than than the United States. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the conclusion on the borders was that, um, I, uh, from my my opinion, is that it's 
it would be very important to open up all the borders and just say com let commerce flow. But I think of, of the three things, that's literally the hardest concept for people to accept because we're so tribal. We, and it's very strange. You know, we're not really tribal in, as in tribe. We, it's very strange because wh what is a tribe? A tribe is a usually small community, right? Yeah. So you, and, and that would have made sense if people were tri really tribal in their sort of... If we take the idea of tribalism at face value, that would have been understandable, but we're n really not. We feel loyal to this enormous entity, a country, a, a nation flag. state, a flag, when we don't know anyone. And Yuval Harari talked about that a lot. Yeah. Right? We know very few people that live, a very small percent of our compatriots. And yet, for some reason, this imaginary territory, imaginary lines on the, on the surface of the planet, so they have some meaning to us. Yeah. To the, p to the really perverted point where we create a centralized government. Yeah. So there are 50 states, yet there's federal government. Now, I, I, there are certainly things that federal government must do, certain managerial tasks. But do they really have to... Is there really a way to regulate all of the 50... This enormous territory. All of the 50 states, can they be really regulated by one single entity? I think they all have different needs. I think they all have different yeah. views. And uh, that is one of the biggest issues in uh, all, all sorts of you know debate in the yeah. politics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think certainly there are... So I think it comes down to the tribalism isn't along... I guess it kind of is along religion, but it's not so much along where you're from... Um, or, you know, your religion, there's an idea set that people get hung up with. Yeah. And, and it's really, it seems very petty in a lot of ways when you hear about people getting nationalistic about a certain thing. But, yeah, I think on the podcast, what's his name, Doug, um, the guy on Russell Brands? Uh, Douglas Rushkoff. Rushkoff. Yeah, I think what he was hitting on was this distributed thing, which is what how I see things, because I think small groups are always more efficient than large groups. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you got to make sure those small groups don't turn into some kind of psychopaths where they're doing crazy stuff. And I think that's where a governing set of rules must be there. Oh, yeah. well, uh, I'll tell you this much. I don't think that's a problem. Yeah. You know? Well, because I think there are cultural things. I think the overall, the 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 way humanity is, I think, is getting morally more and more progressive over time. Mm. I think that's that's the idea. It doesn't happen at the same pace uh, throughout the world, but the vector, uh. I think, towards the sort of more ethical uh, style of life where you respect uh other people's you know rights to you know not be disturbed or uh, self-actualization rights and so on and so forth yeah yeah and i don't think there is going back from that i don't think there's a the so some minor regress in some places is possible but i think there are larger 
the long run, in the long run, I think we're getting uh, getting in the right direction. So I don't think if we uh, if you were to abandon the idea of nation state, which I'd be happy to do, if we abandon this idea altogether, uh, we could uh, form those smaller communities, and the, these communities would have been fine because we would have been connected through the internet. We still would have been on. We, we still would be on social media like nothing will ch change dramatically it's just we become a smaller more efficient govern governing uh, entities you know since the beginning of time groups of humans just figure it out yeah whether the government is doing things the correct way or the incorrect way we always just figure it out yeah um it was interesting in the podcast with russell brand and um Doug uh, Rushkoff, when he he was talking about how the monarch outruled uh, private money or, or outlawed, they made everyone use a standardized yeah. currency. I I didn't even think in those terms that that was a standard currency is is a certain way of controlling markets and controlling people, and then how they made a, a monopoly over mercantile business, you know. If it's a shoemaker or boat maker or whatever, you can't be this independent boat maker. You have to work for the government. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm not sure I completely agree with this assessment because uh, I, I don't think it the the single currency is the problem. I think it's the ideology. That's what the what the problem is. The ideology in which we defy money. Mm. If we treat it, if we treat money as it is, and that is uh, just a convenient way to exchange goods. Yeah. I I think a lot of problems would have uh, would have gone. You, w well, because he because from this point of view, why do you need billions? Why would you want billions? You want you would want exactly as many, I'm sorry, exactly as much money as you need to your immediate goals. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is, what if your immediate immediate goals is to have a, a mansion? Because you take pleasure in having big homes with slides in them and but water slides. But my controversial uh, opinion is that that's a very perverted goal. Like having this, you know, luxurious things. Okay. It's it's okay to have comfortable things. I think everybody should have comfortable things. But why do you need those luxurious things? Yeah. Like a giant house. Uh, that's something I could never understand. It w wouldn't it be, well, for one, scary? What if I weigh 500 pounds and I'm nine foot tall? Yeah. Then is it wrong to want to have a huge home? Well... And my children are seven feet tall and weigh 300 pounds. Oh, well, no. And you got me here. You got me here. But let me, let me, let me, uh, re <laughs> let me offer a, a, a okay. an improvement okay, give to, it to, to me. the approach. We'll be thinking about uh, ratio of uh, oh, body volume and mass. Volume and square footage. To, yes. to what you need. Yes. So everyone would be trying to do crisper to get as fat and as tall as possible yeah so they get more square yeah. footage if you want yeah if you want a big house you're gonna have to get really fat modify yourself such yeah. that you'll become enormous yeah very tall yeah 10 feet 
20 feet tall. Yep, but bear in mind that it being 20, foot, uh, 20 feet tall, if you fall, it's going to be a very painful fall. Yeah. And there's no operating table that will be able to put you back together. So yeah. you get one fall in your life. And yeah. after that, you, you pretty much are just dead. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure if that's what you want. Yeah. Uh, good point. Good counter. Great counter, Vadim. I like that one. Okay. So let's do this. Let's do a wrap-up summary on Utopia for Realists and then jump into this this other subject matter, which I'm fucking fired up about. Ah, yes. Uh, so, Utopia for Realists, do you recommend people to read it? I recommend people to read it. Yep. Um, I must say I'm a bit biased because these are concepts that I want to be true. Okay. I. Uh, you were a believer when you went into the book. Yeah, I already had a sort of... I, I already. I already agreed with those ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just more curious about his rationale. I don't think his, uh, I, I think his, uh, his reasoning is pretty, is pretty good. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are some logical flaws. Uh, I think it'd be difficult to talk about them because you have to really sort of be in the context of a particular chapter, a particular paragraph. To yeah. Sort of, uh, but uh, I'd certainly recommend it because it's thought-provoking, I think, and uh, I, you, you know, gave me some good ideas. Um, yeah. No, I'm going to say it's a definite read. You got to read it. And then I'm, but I'm also going to say I walked into the book as a skeptic, especially on two points, UBI. Yeah. And open borders. There was nothing written about open borders that makes me think it would convince the nation sh state to drop borders. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. I, I UBI, he had a lot of convincing stuff. And um, especially when he touched on the studies done about aid programs versus handing out bundles of cash. I mean, yeah. if for no other reason, read the book to get a uh, synopsis of those studies, because it seems that aid work might be nonsense because it's um, patronizing. And it's not... Uh, it's not necessarily what a person who's living in those conditions really wants, and it may not stimulate them the same way a wad of cash would stimulate their resourcefulness. Totally. It is patronizing, but on th at the same time, it, it, but it's also uh, just bureaucratized. And, and yeah. You sort of... Inefficient. A shitload of paperwork. Yeah. And then and then sometimes it'd be something as extreme as uh, you know, some kind of sanctions against you if you say if they believe you misuse those. Oh, uh, those yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a, a a bunch of bullshit. Bunch They're of bullshit. A bunch of bullshit related with uh, to these aid programs. Yeah, they I don't I think uh, we are well capable of uh, solving poverty. Uh, and I think uh, all I think uh, our uh, inability to to realize humans' intrinsic value and uh, worshiping uh, money is is the reason we we still yeah we still haven't defeated poverty yeah yeah cool all right so moving on to the book um I'm sorry yes we're both reading a book diaspora which is called diaspora. Diaspora? I thought diaspora. it was diaspora. Diaspora. I didn't know how to say it. So that's why I'm happy that we're discussing this. Diaspora, yeah. We're just going to start it today because... Uh, Let's just... Yeah, do... Uh, we're already... 
we're already pretty deep into the podcast. I think we're going to wrap it yeah. up maybe in 10 minutes. So yeah. um, what, what, what I would like to say first and foremost is I really need to read more sci-fi. Yeah. Because this stuff to me is so much more inspirational than real world. Yeah. No, 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 not inspirational. Why did I use the word inspirational? Engaging. Yeah. Absolutely. It engages my thinking much more. So can I I, I want to do a couple superficial observations. So the first chapter of this was so difficult for me to read. There was something about it and you know, I can't defend why I had this feeling. So feel free to call <laughs> me a dumbass or um, uh, crazy for making yeah. this comment. Yeah. There was something about his writing that kept making me think of H.P. Lovecraft. Hmm. I don't know why. The horror writer. Yeah. Um, there was always something very confusing to me when Lovecraft would go into his descriptions of the beasts. Yeah. And the Chitula, or Kukula, or whatever you call Cthulhu, it. Cthulhu, yeah. Cthulhu. Whenever he would go into these things, it left so many... He was very descriptive, but it left so many gaps to my imagination that I ended up making crazy worlds. And I think that's the genius of Lovecraft. Yes, I, I think you nailed that because that's what I thought. <laughs> I, I, well, I didn't, I didn't think specifically of Lovecraft. I just right. happened to there watch There was a mystery. I, wa I happened to watch a YouTube video on, on the uh, topic of cosmic horror. Okay. And so, and and I thought, well, that's similar in, in concept, right? So let's 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 quickly introduce the book, right? It's yeah. Diaspora, uh, I guess, by Greg Egan. Mm -hmm. Well, Greg Egan, I, I looked him up. He's not some yeah, he's not C or average writer. He's a amateur mathematician and computer programmer. Okay. So he knows what he's talking about. Sure. Uh, in fact. Uh, you can go on his website, gregegan.net, and uh -huh. you'll find like, a lot of stuff like, uh, for example, uh, he has with these proofs about uh, flattening. Oh, I was, I read that. You yeah. sent the link, yeah, right? Yeah, that that's his yeah. website. Oh, I thought that was like a fan page or something. I thought that too, but I just yeah. realized recently, oh, hang on a second, it's gregegan.net. Uh, wow. That's his website. He's a total nerd. Okay. And, uh, and he has a good talent for writing. The language is so amazing. Well, there's a lot of made-up language, too. Yeah. So, and in sci-fi, that's the challenge of sci-fi right there is you don't know. You know, I read on the Kindle, yeah. and I'm, I can't tell you how many. I would say every five paragraphs, I do the highlight and, and the lookup. Yeah. Because I'm just getting confused. Well, to me, it's, it's also, it was also, so for me, first chapter, I, I agree that it is difficult. Uh, but let's, let's first finish with the cosmic horror parallel. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. So, the book is set in the far future, where mm -hmm. people live, m most people live in sort of virtual worlds. Mm -hmm. And those virtual worlds, they are not limited by just three dimensions. They could be any dimensional. You can create worlds within worlds called scapes. You can make them four-dimensional. And in fact, part of the what's called orphanogenesis is a process of a citizen. Uh, well, okay, those virtual cities are called policies, as ancient Greek policies, mm -hmm. and uh, people who live there are called citizens, right? And orphanogenesis is uh, the most popular way of those new citizens coming to life because there's no need for sex and yeah. sexual reproduction, reproduction in this world. How long did you figure out, how long did it take you before you realized that the pronouns were meant to be ambiguous 
Oh, I realized it fairly quickly. Okay, I, I, it I, took well, me a minute because I kept going, what's well, the matter with my Kindle? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, what I kept took, saying. <laughs> it took me a minute. Uh, oh, Ver, it didn't t- Viz, yeah, it, it didn't take me Vimself, yeah, it, Verself. It didn't take me like a month or something, but uh, yeah. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't obvious straight up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and so this process of orphanogenesis is it in itself four dimensional, and we can't visualize four dimensions, and that's that's the thing. So can I say something? Yeah. I just downloaded the book. Yeah. I did not read any of the. Um, I didn't know what it was about at all. We were going to do Neuromancer, and we both ran into problems getting that book. Yeah. And so then I just downloaded and started reading it. And when they were talking about the uh, minors and going through the mathematical, the Euclidean geometry stuff, and then they were talking about fourth dimension, and I still didn't have a concept. See, chapter one is the birth. Yes. And the learning. And through that whole thing, I go, am I reading a spiritual? Is this not spiritual, interdimensional beings? Why are they doing... Why are they mining fourth dimension? That's where I was getting confused because I go, even if these are virtual beings, which I didn't even, I didn't even think they were virtual beings. Even if they're virtual beings, how are they manipulating the fourth dimension? Because even a virtual entity, I don't think would be able to grasp fourth dimension manipulations. Oh, well, that is the beauty of this book and uh, Egan's writing is that indeed, there is absolutely no need for a virtual being to be limited by three dimensions. There, uh, notice that there are no concept, there are no familiar concepts whatsoever. These are completely different beings. They don't have vision. They call yeah. them gestalt. Yes. Is it just? Wait, I thought a gestalt was a type of person. No, gestalt is is uh, is the like glorified vision system. It's oh. it's just you don't. You don't take That's another word that was used so many times. 2D, yeah. 2D uh, images in your eyes, in your uh, retina. It's more like uh, we can't conceptualize yeah, the sensory cons- input. Y- yeah. yeah, we can't conceptualize. It's just called gestalt, yeah. and it is uh, it is sort of richer, better idea of visual perception. It's just yeah. a bunch of visual stuff. Yeah, and probably like many. I don't know. I, 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 we c- yeah, we can't imagine it. It's just like cosmic horror. It's unname the unnameable. Yeah. Um, and uh, but they also have what they call linear, yep. which is speech, yep. and and that's a, a another brilliant thing. That's how software being would communicate. It's very easy to transmit linear packets of data, sequential bits, yeah, bit after bit. But then you don't have to interpret this bit, th- th- these bits in any conventional way, because you're not restricted with four dimensions. You don't restrict with gravity or any laws of physics. Yeah, anything is possible. Okay. And the same thing was they don't there there are no concept of space. You just you are who you are. You just exist. Mm, you can think of yourself suspended in in a void. Yeah. But then if you want, you access uh, an address, just the same way you access a website, right? Yeah. And the whole the entirety of your being is now immersed into whatever whatever is at that address. Yep. Maybe a place you meet with other people. It may be a video feed from uh, a satellite, and you can observe stars. Or maybe it is uh, something that you've created yourself. Yeah. And so it just blows my mind. The book blows my mind again it's a mind and again and again. Yeah. It's a mind-blowing book. It's um, it's hard. It, it's so smart. It leaves gaps for the reader to let your imagination run. One. Uh, 
I guess, guilty indulgence I have when I read books. So you jerk off occasionally. Yes, I do. I do, and I get it all over the Kindle, and it makes me very unpopular in my household. <laughs> um, but another thing I do, and this is a product of, you know, again, consumer consumer culture and, and sensationalism, I try to make a movie out of it. There's no way I could do a visual representation of what's being described in yes. these pages. It's like, I just have to let it go. Just stop, Matthew. Stop trying to make a movie of this book and get through the material. Yeah. Because it's not, I don't know how anyone could turn this into a movie. No. I mean, it would be a Tron type thing. But again, that the chapter of birth and then the chapter of mining, it's just, it's out there. It can only be written word. Maybe it can be, I don't know what else it could be. Maybe pictures, maybe an acid trip, maybe a psilocybin trip. I don't know. Well, yeah, no, no, no. The world, I, I think the world in the policies, in the coalition of policies is, uh, is undescribable for humans. Is un we can't conceptualize it. Yes. Same way we can't conceptualize fourth dimension. Yes. Uh, and and, and, and that the one thing that blows my mind is that although it's we can't conceptualize it, Egan gives us sort of a taste of it. He gives us a writing. taste. Yes, he does. So let's do this. I think we've done an hour. Yeah. I got a boogie. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, this is the little teaser to for to our tens of thousands of what's listeners. What's to come? What's to come? Yeah. Why did I say tens of thousands of listeners? Who am I trying to kid? We have yeah. millions. We, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we've been but listened to in uh, other galaxies. Yes. And the policies. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, it's interdimensional. We're past the fourth dimension. Yeah. We're, uh, no, we're in the fourth dimension and we're manipulating. We're bouncing back, forth, up, down, yeah. left, right, diagonal, latitude, longitude, all over the place. Absolutely. Cool. And this time it's been recorded. Bam. Yes. We're going to end it right now. Uh, no sponsors this week either. Yeah. No time. I told him to fuck off. We're already rich. Or I told him to fuck we off. I said, we're doing this for the art form. Yeah. Yep. That is true. That is true. Right on. Bye-bye. <laughs>